2: Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney alongside my co-host Matt Miller.
3: Every business day we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros and Bloomberg experts along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at bloomberg.com/podcast. Let's get over to Megan Horneman. What an amazing day for me to come back here to these markets, Megan, and after these, you know, two big central bank decisions, what do you make of inflation right now? I mean, um, my first thought after reading that uh, Powell hiked 50 basis points and said a couple more could be on the way is it must be doing something to stop inflation already.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing is the next couple months, we'll get a little bit of a better indication on has inflation peaked, and are we going to start rolling over and getting to some more, uh, I wouldn't say normal levels, but at least a little bit better than what we've seen over the past year. That's the biggest concern, I think, right now from the inflation story, and we just don't know that. Um, we'll get this, this stuff over the next couple months. Next week is a big week. We get both CPI and PPI, and then we'll look again in um, in June to see how that works out.
5: And Megan, I'm still trying to make sense of the past 24 hours or so. Obviously, that enormous rally that we saw across risk assets uh, during the the Fed presser yesterday. Now to see uh, this really amazing give back, Um, I'd love to hear your perspective on whether, you know, markets misread what Powell was saying and we're seeing a rethink today. Or how do you explain this hiccup?
4: I think all of the the uncertainty that is kind of filtering into the market today was here yesterday. I just think what Powell did was he he delivered a pretty good press conference satisfying both end both ends of the spectrum. So made it very clear that we were going to hike 50 basis points and it's on the table for the next few meetings he was pretty aggressive on on the inflation situation but at the same time also said that there's not any discussion of 75 basis point rate hikes. so it was kind of right down the middle you know they're pretty good at doing that but today when you came in you really got three different things driving the market today first of all this was discussed what happened with the bank of england and they're pretty I guess you could say pessimistic or realistic outlook on what inflation will look like this year in the UK and their economic situation, that spooked markets. We got some dismal economic data here in the US as well, even though it was backward looking in part of the first quarter, it's not pretty to see some of those productivity numbers. And then lastly, don't forget that this morning we also finally broke through that psychological 3% level on the 10 year. And that's something that I think the market was looking for. So that's going to take some of the, the wind out of that, you know, that optimism yesterday that we had and the big rebound that we had and specifically some of those growth and technology type, type of names.
3: So is this a little bit of capitulation? I mean, when um, you know, a central banker is honest with markets, is that you know, peak pessimism?
4: I think there is, I would say, peak pessimism or at least some parts of the market that are pricing in the most pessimistic uh, situation. It's rare to hear a
3: central banker forecast a contraction, right, or a recession.
4: Yeah, it is It is rare. And, um, you know, we didn't get that yesterday. There still is the chance that he can orchestrate a soft landing, although he didn't make it very clear it will be difficult to do that. He also pointed out a lot of the positive aspects of the U.S. economy that he thinks can withstand some of this monetary tightening. But keep in mind, the Federal Reserve and central banks around the world can only do so much with um, inflation when it's out of – there's certain parts of it that are out of their control, whether it's the war between Russia and Ukraine, as well as the supply chain disruptions. They, They really can't fix that issue, and that has been some of the contributory factors to inflation this year.
5: And Megan, I mean, Powell seemed to pretty definitively take a 75 basis point hike off the table. But if we think about, you know, the past few months of the dot plot of Fed communication, uh, you could make an argument that they've had to chase inflation here. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on whether we could see that 75 basis point hike come back on the table.
4: I think I think it's too early to say that I I would I would say that the probability is low for 75 basis point heights because keep in mind not only are they going to raise 50 basis points, which I think they'll do in the next couple meetings at a minimum, but that reduction in the balance sheet is also pretty um, intense as well. So I think 75 basis points is a little bit of a stretch now, especially since most of the forecasts are expecting that inflation will have either already peaked or peak in the next couple months.
3: So, how does this make? I mean, you're uh, now chief investment officer at Verden's, Um Capital Advisors on the uh, investment committee, obviously, there, I guess, leading discussions. How difficult does this make your job? Um, with, you know, inflation is transitory. Okay, it's not transitory. They're going to hike twice, five times. They're going to hike 50 basis points, 75 basis points, like constantly moving.
4: Mm-hmm. So there's two different sides of that. From, from the fixed income perspective, regardless of whether or not you know, coming into this year, inflation was transitory or not transitory, we were very defensive with fixed income, and we still are. THAT MEANT WE REDUCED um, A LOT OF OUR CREDIT EXPOSURE, IF NOT ALL OF IT. SO WE you know, REDUCED INVESTMENT-GRADE investment CREDIT. WE DON'T OWN ANY DIRECT INVESTMENT-GRADE CREDIT RIGHT NOW. THAT'S TAKEN A BIG BRUNT OF THIS RISE IN INTEREST RATES. WE'VE BEEN VERY SHORT DURATION. SO WE'RE NOT COMPLETELY ABANDONING FIXED INCOME, BUT WE'VE BEEN VERY DEFENSIVE WITH THE FIXED INCOME SECTOR. AND um, THE OTHER AREA, that it's impacted the most has been in specifically your US large cap growth. Um, that has definitely been hit because we're having this reset of multiples and, and multiple um, the, the reset of the lack of multiple expansion going forward because of higher interest rates and higher inflation. So we have instead started to look at some of these opportunities that have been given to mm-hmm. us this year to look at some of the small and mid cap area of the market. Those areas have been beaten up the most in pricing and pricing in a lot of that pessimism.
3: Megan, thanks so much for joining us. Megan Horneman, there. She is the chief investment officer over at Verdance Capital Advisors.
0: You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare.
6: Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds.
3: Let's bring in right now a guest, Jonathan Maxwell. He is the CEO and co-founder of Sustainable Development Capital. After uh, years moving infrastructure around at investment banks on the street, he founded this firm in uh, 2007. And I think really no better time to talk to you, Jonathan, than now about what you do in terms of your energy infrastructure deals, but also um, the current financial situation, especially considering comments from Andy Bailey. I mean, what do you make of a pound at 123? How does that affect the business that you do?
7: Yeah. So thank you for having me back on. And what an amazing set of numbers we just heard in global markets. And I think it helps to look at the current market environment as so dominated by competition for natural resources. And that's one of the key themes that's really driven the political um, uh, gyrations recently. So uh, you know, you've know, you got huge competition for natural gas and uh, for, for uh, other resources. 80% of the world's energy system relies on oil, gas, and coal. Um, and I think you know, emanating out of the Ukraine crisis, we've now seen massive increases in energy prices, which are having sort of worldwide ripple effects. The war itself having serious political implications for people, but the economic um, implications globally affecting hundreds of millions and billions. So fundamentally, I think the question that we need to look behind all of these numbers is where is the increase? Where is the pressure coming from? And the pain point is really around the energy market as one of the key areas. And what are the solutions to those problems? You know, is it, 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 I, is it producing more supply or is it even looking at alternative solutions?
3: To well, problems? I saw I saw um, Bailey talking to reporters today and saying that the biggest driver is this real income shock, which is coming from the change in the terms of trade. Coming particularly from energy prices. Right. So I guess you know the question is then what, what can be done? What should have been done previously and what are you working on to do now?
7: Right. Well going back to the point that I made, you know, eighty percent of the world's energy system is oil, gas and coal. But the extraordinary factor, the extraordinary thing about this is that so much energy is wasted. Thermal energy generation using oil, gas, and coal involves enormous losses of energy, primary energy, between the point of, through the points of generation, transmission, and distribution. In the United States, it's extreme. Up to 70% of energy can be lost through thermal losses by burning fossil fuels, through to the transmission and distribution losses, even before it gets to buildings like this. And then more energy can get lost when it gets to the point of use. So we in immense loss of energy, both in the United States and in Europe. It's about the same, two-thirds energy lost from the point of generation to the end use. So the burning question literally is how do we replace you know, fossil fuels, natural gas in particular, and I'm speaking from a European context, coming from Russia. Actually, the question that needs to be asked at the same time is how can we stop losing or wasting so much energy? And for every dollar we invest in new supply and every plan I've seen coming out of the US government or even the diamond proposal today talks about supply, new gas, new nukes, new hydrogen, new renewables. It's great. It's going to take 5, 10, 15 years. The only solution that is going to work in the next 6, 12 to 36 months is attacking that problem, reducing energy waste.
5: Well, that's what I wanted to ask. Obviously, you know, when it comes to producing new energy supply, possibly drilling more, like you said, that's on a long time frame. But for the immediate future, that 12-month time frame, a little bit beyond, I mean, what is the focus? Are people asking that question? How do we, you know, recoup some of the energy that we're wasting? Or, you know, do you think that the focus is too much on these immediate Solutions. I think the world, or sorry, these uh, medium-term solutions. Yeah.
7: Well, I think you know, I think the focus, could, the first point of the focus has been how big this problem is. You know, this is a, a huge, massive challenge to try and replace these sorts of uh, fuels. Now, of course, the first one is to switch to alternative sources, like the United States. Um, you know, maybe other countries in the Middle East for fuel supply. But there are solutions to. But all of those solutions that are going to increase volumes of supply are going to take years, decades. Yes, absolutely. The question now, everybody understands how big the problem is. What are the solutions for the next 6, 12, 36 months? And that's what we're investing in. And there is no uh, solution at the kind of scale and pace needed other than decentralising energy, building energy on site or close to where it's needed by investing in energy demand reduction projects, not by asking people to wear a woolly sweater and turn down their thermostat, but by <laughs> changing the loss of energy use in the 70% of the world's energy that's used in buildings, industry, and transport. So much of this is wasted because of inefficient infrastructure. The sweater solution was one that I
3: had you know, high hopes for, I have to say. <laughs> I've, been, I've been pushing the sweater. Um, well...
7: You know, I think, go back to what I've said, and it's a very serious point there. You know, there's so much of what you hear about energy efficiency is like it's from the 1970s, like there should be some sort of sacrifice. People should use less, drive less, heat their homes less. 70% of energy is used in buildings, industry, and transport. That's where the real problem is. And the well, solutions lie there. Make them more efficient. Generate energy where they are needed, and invest in infrastructure that reduces energy demand.
3: But it's got to be doubly hard, Jonathan, when you see this kind of... Not only the gyrations in currency markets, but also just, you know, the, the, the massive inflation in other commodities um, in order to get those electric cars on the road or to get, you know, some more efficient hydrogen trucking solution. You've got to build them first and you've got you've got to have the chips. I mean, the whole supply chain has to make this so much more difficult.
7: So let's start on the demand side. Um, replacing lights with LEDs, replacing heating, ventilation, air conditioning equipment, introducing better software, building management systems and controls. These are all technologies and applications that are low cost, abundant in supply, and and able to be introduced incredibly quickly in days, months, certainly within the next year on the demand side. On the supply side, uh, locally produced, local generating sets, uh, turbines, engines, uh, solar and storage assets on the supply side, can at least be installed on site much quicker with much slower, sorry, much less uh, problematic planning applications and long-term supply chain issues, and let alone resource consumption. And the last point I'll make is a national as well as corporate issue. By using less energy for the same economic output, it improves performance. Go back to what I said at the beginning. If we're wasting most of the energy in the world, no wonder we're unproductive by cutting energy demand, you cut costs, improve productivity, it's better business, it's better for the, co- the country, and it's also the largest source of greenhouse gas emissions, reductions.
5: And Jonathan, we have about 20 seconds left with you, but I'm curious, in this environment, where are you seeing the most opportunity for your firm for sustainable development capital? Well,
7: over the last few years, we've invested $2 billion in investment opportunities associated with exactly what I'm saying. So these are not just nice ideas, they are highly profitable. And we've got an investment vehicle listed on the London Stock Exchange. We've got private investment vehicles. So that's where we're seeing the opportunities.
3: Jonathan, great to have you in. Thanks so much for joining us. Jonathan Maxwell there. He is the co-founder and the CEO of Sustainable Development Capital, um, helping firms make these changes that we talk about so much, especially lately. Great to have you with us, uh, Jonathan Maxwell. Let's get over right now to Dave Rainey, joining us to talk about these insane markets. Um he is a portfolio manager at Hennessy Focus Fund, and Dave uh, you know we can't really keep up with the moves down today. Um, it felt kind of like this on the upside yesterday. What do you do in moments of incredible volatility like this?
2: Well. You understand that it's going to happen over a lifetime of investing. Um, The market's obviously very concerned today about the level and the rate of change in short-term interest rates and also what the Fed's going to do on the long end of the curve and when it's going to start there. So I was a little surprised that the market rallied the way it did after – Chairman Powell said there wasn't a 75 basis point increase in the offering. And I'm honestly not surprised to see markets reverse the way they have this morning.
5: And, Dave, something I've been thinking about a lot is financial conditions, because we've heard Powell repeatedly stress that financial conditions, a tightening of those conditions, that is the mechanism through which monetary policy actually touches the real economy. And something I was thinking about watching markets just take off yesterday was that this is only going to further ease financial conditions. And if we end up in a situation like that, where the Fed is hiking, but, you know, stocks are rallying, risk is rallying, financial conditions are easing, I mean, does the Fed have to be even more hawkish than they might have been otherwise?
2: Well, it depends how far behind the curve the Fed is. Mm -hmm. I I think it's easy to make an argument today that the Fed is easily 12 months uh, behind the snugging or the tightening curve. Um, Fed funds should be much higher today. Matter of fact, I think the recently confirmed uh, vice chair of the Fed said a couple of weeks ago that she didn't think that we would really get to a point around neutrality until the end of this year. So whether whether it's the Fed funds rate still well below um, the the neutral rate that the Fed talks about at you know, around two and a half percent, and or the fact that the Fed really hasn't begun to unwind their their nine trillion dollar balance sheet on the long end of the curve, um, the risk here is that the Fed has to overcreate because it's taken so long to start moving rates up. And so this is, I think, over the last few weeks, you've seen a number of sell-side firms um, increase their talk about the risk of an inflation, of, of a recession over the next 18 to two years. Why? Because we have an unemployment rate mm. that's already fully recovered. And so typically the Fed starts snugging or raising rates when the unemployment rate is, you know, four to five to six, not at three and a half. And so this is the difficulty of a soft landing in here at this time.
3: Well, you know, what a lot of people have been worried about, Dave, is that the Fed um, essentially causes a recession here and then has to turn tail and go back. You know, uh, you talk about, for example, the $9 trillion dollar balance sheet. I remember when it was only four trillion and it seemed eye popping at that point and they were gonna reduce it and they got you know half a trillion down and all of a sudden had to triple it. So, you know, what does that mean?
2: Well um I think the term that people are talking about is a growth recession. Um not necessarily a hard recession or a severe recession, but a growth recession. And so you know the Fed's comments um, over the last few weeks have been: We, the Fed, think that we can engineer what we need to do, which is bringing down um, uh, inflation. You know, which is running somewhere between six and eight and a half percent, however you want to measure it, and we need to bring it down to the two or three percent level. Um, the, the 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 risk in here is that having waited so long, they're going to have to bring Fed funds. Up much higher and push spending down consumer spending down and unemployment up the question is whether or not they can do it just enough to begin to, to break the back of inflation um, and yet still have a pretty good unemployment and uh, or employment environment we have an excellent employment environment today the problem is is that wage gains aren't keeping up with inflation and inflation is the biggest macro risk to the economy and the market today. So I'm, I'm not surprised by the market's reaction today after yesterday. We're still going to have an additional 100 to probably 150 basis points of rate increases between now and the end of the year on top of what the Fed did. And there will probably be more next year. Um, but Chairman Powell once again reiterated the fact that the economy is strong, employment growth is is obviously very good wage growth is strong on a yep. on a nominal basis and uh there's yep. there 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 are lots of job openings so dave,
3: thanks you know dave thanks so much for joining us unfortunately that's all we have time for but i think really uh interesting points and insightful Knowledge from Dave Rainey there, Portfolio Manager over at Hennessy Focus Fund, talking to us about um, the Fed and the the gyrations that we're seeing as a result of, well, the Fed and the Bank of England and the ECB uh, in markets today.
0: You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through.
3: Vince Signorella joining us right now to talk about what's going on in uh, currencies and and markets he's our global macro strategist at Bloomberg News um, but Vince I you know I, I I emphasize the the FX because you traded it for so long on the street and um, the dollar strength that we're seeing right now is really quite remarkable 105 as I said against the pound 123 uh, sorry 105 against the euro 123 against the pound. Is this going to stick?
8: Well, I, you know, what I will tell you is you, you, if you look at the dollar and you look at equities, you see this inverse relationship. So for the dollar to continue to rally, we're going to need to see the equity markets continue to sell off. And I think that's actually more the question, um, you know, that the dollar is reacting to this sell off in equities um, and, and poised to be sort of the the asset to go to in a risk uh, in a risk-off environment, given what's going on in Ukraine and what the Fed is doing, et cetera, so it does appear that it will it will last for a little bit longer as we as we take into account what the Fed is doing. But you know, interest rates alone aren't what's uh, aren't just what moves the uh, the FX market. You're looking at the proximity of what's going on in Eastern Europe to Europe, and I think that's what's uh, also weighing um, on European currencies, and that's helping the dollar out quite a bit.
5: And Vince, I am dying to get your thoughts on the pound, because what a move in sterling. Uh, It's down to its lowest in two years versus the dollar, it looks like, uh, off 2% that pair. Uh, That's, of course, after the Bank of England issued the most gloomy outlook of any major central bank this year. Uh, How unusual is it to see a currency fall after its central bank actually hikes rates?
8: Well, you know, that's actually a really good question. It, it, the expectation, obviously, is currencies rise when the central bank's raising rates. But in the case of the U.K., um, because they do import a great deal of product um, when there is inflation globally, um, it's it's the wrong kind of inflation. It's the wrong kind of inflation for every country, country really. But uh, for the U.K., it seems to weigh a bit more. Um, and so this, this type of phenomenon, um, when you see the U.K. raising rates, um, it doesn't actually help the currency. If you, during that time when uh, Soros was attacking the pound, uh, the central bank raised rates uh, like 300 basis points in an attempt. Uh, just just a day before the pound devalued, in an attempt to stabilize it, and the pound went lower. It was just seen as a as a feeble attempt to try to rescue the currency. And when the markets see that and think that the banks are reacting. Uh, in, in only a way to try to salvage uh, a bad situation, they generally try to push them as hard as they can to see uh, how bad a situation they can make for the central bank. And that's what's going on now, I think.
3: Yeah, and, and of course, it's all relative, right? With all of these central banks being pretty gloomy, Powell also acknowledging that his moves are gonna cause pain, um, and we've heard you know worse from other Federal Reserve, from other FOMC um, voters how how mobile, I wonder, especially since you bring up Soros, is global capital now? Is it more mobile now than it was then?
8: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, the whole advent of the electronic trading platform situation uh, created almost instant mobility for uh, particularly the currency markets, especially the currency markets. Where you know back in the in the Soros days, most of the transactions were done by voice brokers. I actually was one at that time, and there there were probably five people like me who could actually count. And so that actually slowed down the number of transactions you could do. Now that it's all electronic and computers are doing it for uh, everyone, you know the speed of the moves are, are just incredible. We saw it just the other day with the, uh, it's supposedly a trader at Citibank London with a fat finger, uh, you know, crushed uh, in the equity markets in Europe. I mean, that's how quickly and how fast money moves now because of the electronic trading.
5: And Vince, obviously, we've heard so much about the strong dollar in the past couple of weeks. The Bloomberg dollar index, I think it was last week or the week before rising to its highest level since 2020. Wrap that into all of the high profile warnings we've gotten about a recession coming in the next, I don't know, year to two years. What would that mean for the dollar if there is a recession stateside?
8: Well, one of the one of the issues, and it's not just for the dollar, it's going to be for, the, for a lot of uh, um, the world, especially I think this is going to impact emerging market currencies even more than the dollar is. If you have that situation where uh, inflation does not ease, and it doesn't appear to be at the moment, and you have recessions, it's not going to be just the U.S., it's going to be a global recession. And then you have this sort of stagflation feel to global markets. Um, in in the past, when that happened, you had a similar situation. What's going on in the UK in the seventies? The dollar was under a great deal of pressure because of uh, that situation. If it if it's a if it's a, a a regional thing, which is is just really in the U.S., then that's what would happen. The dollar would roll over. But I'm guessing that this is going to be more of a global uh, event. And so the currencies that are going to suffer the most are going to be the exporter currencies and the emerging so, market currencies.
3: So the U.S., once again, is going to be the cleanest, dirty shirt.
8: Pretty much, yeah. It's the, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you just, you know, when people say what people have been buying stocks for the last 15 years and saying, where else are you going to go? And in the currency market, that's, that's kind of the situation. Unless some one area steps up, uh, and it could be China if they turn things around. Um, there's really no other place to hide.
3: Vince, thanks so much for joining us. Vince Signorella, there is the global macro strategist for Bloomberg News. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at matt miller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch
2: us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio.
1: The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg.